0: Now, if you take your Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 3, we're going to dig into God's Word this morning, and as we do that, let's again go to God in prayer. Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. We, your children, feast on the abundance of your house, and we've just done that as we have worshiped you. Now we acknowledge that with you is the fountain of life, and in your light we see light. So give us your light, we pray now, in the power of the Spirit, to the glory of the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, we all love a good mystery, don't we? We love taking the clues that are given and try to put the pieces together and to figure out. Who done it before the author or the director finally reveals it to us? The best selling mystery novel of all time is Agatha Christie's And Then There Were None. It's the story of 10 people who were drawn together by various guises to an empty mansion on a deserted island. Pretty good venue for a mystery. And what happens on that island is that the two mysterious hosts are not even there, but they've designated two of the guests to be cook and housekeeper to care for the others. And as the days pass by, one by one, in accordance with the lyrics of a nursery rhyme, each of the guests faces the music and bears the consequences of their troubled past. And one by one, they all die. And if you wonder how the last person dies, well, that's part of the mystery. And so you should get the book and read it. (laughs) The theme for Reach 22 is the mystery of the gospel. And that theme itself may be a mystery still to you this morning. (laughs) What are we talking about? Mystery is actually a biblical term. It's a very Pauline term. In fact, he uses it 21 times in his epistles, and it doesn't mean the exact same thing every time. At its core, and I've made a little diagram to help us see this, at its core, the mystery is the union of God and man. It's how can this actually happen? How can God be united to humankind? And I'm not sure if we can get that concentric circle slide up or not. There we go. That's the center part of the mystery. The second part of the mystery, and by the way, Paul mentions that in Ephesians 5.32. The second part is how that actually is enabled by the cross of Christ. Not sure we're working here. There we go. The second part of the mystery is how it is that the Creator took on human flesh, became one of us, and gave his life on the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be united with God. But there is a third and finer definition of this mystery, and that is in our text today, and that is the fact that the Gentiles have been included in God's salvation plan. Look at chapter 3, verse 6 of Isaiah with me. This is our theme verse for reach. This mystery, now he's going to tell you what the mystery is, is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. You see, salvation initially was for the Jews. The Jews were the focus of God's attentions and His affections in the Old Testament. The Jews were the natural branches of the olive tree that Paul talks about in Romans chapter 11. And so the question is, what are the Gentiles, the wild branches, doing in this olive tree. And that is the mystery that Paul is now proclaiming to us. And in our text today, we're going to see three truths about this mystery in chronological order. First, this mystery was hidden for 2,000 years. Second, over a period of a few decades, the mystery was revealed. And then third, from that time onward, for 2,000 years and counting, that mystery must be proclaimed. So first, the mystery was hidden. Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. Which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has has now been revealed to His holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. Verse 9, and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. What does that mean? Well, that's what Paul has been talking about in the previous chapter, chapter 2. In those famous verses that we love and that are so true that that salvation is by faith through grace alone, Paul then goes on to say, where was the Gentiles' role in that salvation plan of God? And I want you to quickly look at some some verses from that passage, from Ephesians 2, The Gentiles formerly were separated from Christ. They were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They were strangers to the covenants of promise. They had no hope, and they were without God in the world. That was the position of the Gentiles relative to the salvation that God provided through His Son, the Messiah. The story goes back to Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 where God, out of all of the nations who have scattered around the world after the Tower of Babel, God chooses one man and his descendants to pour his blessings out on the Jewish people. The covenant, the temple, the sacrifices, the promises, the prophets, even the Messiah, were all for the Jews. God is called the God of Israel over 200 times in the Old Testament. He's called the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, far more often than he's called the God of the nations. Now, the Jews understood that he was the God of the whole world, but at that point in time, every nation had their own particular God. So Yahweh was the Jews' own God, and their understanding was he is our God, he is not their God. If they want help, they can go to their gods. Yahweh is for us. So, was God playing favorites? It Sure looks like he was. We wouldn't put up with that today, choosing one out of all of these, until you read the fine print. And there in the Old Testament is this mysterious thread that is woven in beginning in Genesis chapter 12 verse 3, where God said, the reason I chose Abraham was to bless him, but that through him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. Psalm 67 says, Lord, make your face shine upon us and bless us, not so that we can just be filled, but so that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. And we can trace this throughout the entire Old Testament as a thin little thread that God has woven. It was a mystery. It was hidden for all of these ages. They didn't understand that the gospel was for everybody. Now, a few Gentiles were saved in the Old Testament, I can think of Jethro and Rahab, Ruth, Naaman, probably, and maybe even Nebuchadnezzar. In fact, someone counted and got to about nine named Gentiles over 2,000 years who were saved. That doesn't sound very fair to me, does it? So imagine yourself a Jew in the first century. You've been a recipient of the blessings of God. You're one of God's chosen people. As for the other nations, well, let them run to their own gods to find whatever help they need. And it was this legitimate privilege that God gave His people that led them to a sense of entitlement and exclusive claim to the promises of God for salvation. And it was this sense that made this prophecy about Jesus so shocking And almost unintelligible to the Jews who read it Isaiah says about Jesus it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel yes the Messiah is coming to save the Jews but God's saying that's too small a thing the Jesus I'm sending is much greater and much bigger he needs more glory than just from one people So he says of Jesus, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. The mystery hidden for 2,000 years. Secondly, that mystery was revealed. Verses 3 to 5 of Ephesians chapter 3. Look at those verses with me. How the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. You see, even though Jesus knew this was his mission, he didn't actually fulfill it. He kept the scope of his mission hidden for the 30 years of his life on earth. He never, for instance, went to the Gentile nations and preached the gospel. He never probably traveled more than 100 miles from his hometown in Nazareth in any direction. In fact, you remember, even when the Canaanite woman came to Jesus with a woman who, with a daughter who was possessed by a demon, she's crying for help, and Jesus literally totally ignores her. When she presses him, the disciples finally say, Lord, send her away. The implication was she's one of those Gentile dogs. She doesn't deserve your grace. And Jesus didn't say, oh, no, she's part of the the wonderful plan of God for salvation. You know what Jesus said? He finally turns to the woman. He says, you know, the the dogs under the table don't deserve the crumbs from the the children who get to eat. He confirms, and he says, in these words, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Wow. Jesus, hadn't you read Isaiah 49.6? You see, he was keeping the mystery Hidden Now, it, it broke out. He did help her. He did deliver her daughter from the demon. He did reach out to the Canaanite woman, to the Samaritan woman at the well. So he was slowly unraveling this mystery, but it was so hard for them to understand. It must have been surprising for the disciples to hear that after the death and resurrection of Jesus, everything changed in terms of the scope of salvation. Because that's all Jesus talked about in those days that he was alive on earth after the resurrection, when he told them those very familiar verses in Matthew 28, to go and make disciples of all nations. We've heard that so many times, it doesn't strike our hearts, but it struck them as unbelievable. Jesus, what are you saying? We don't understand. Salvation is for us, the Jews. In fact, Jesus' very last words recorded on earth were to the ends of the earth. He said, you should be my witnesses in Acts chapter 1. And how do I know that they didn't understand it? This mystery had not yet fully been revealed. Because if you follow the flow of the events in the book of Acts, the apostles did not leave Jerusalem. In fact, it's not until chapter 8 when a persecution breaks out and the people are forced to spread and to leave that country that they begin to go out and do what Jesus had told them to do. But even then... In Acts 11:19, 19, it says the early church went speaking the word to no one except the Jews. Do you understand how hidden this mystery was? They could not comprehend that Jesus was for everybody. And when we hear that, we wonder how could they be so blind? We would never be like that, would we? Well, it took a sheet coming down from heaven filled with unclean animals for God to reveal to Peter these truths that with God there is no favoritism and Peter says these words that God's salvation is for those in every nation Acts 11:35. it was revealed to Peter by a sheet that God's salvation is for those in every nation for Paul himself He said, it was made known to me by revelation. He said that in verse 3 that we just read. This was likely the revelation that Paul had referred to in Galatians 2, verse 2. After 14 years of living in the country of Syria, imagine that, Paul had just been miraculously converted, and then he goes into the desert, he spends 14 years in Syria, and there in some fashion, God revealed to him the scope of his salvation as including all of the Gentile nation. And so he came back to Jerusalem to meet with the church leaders, he says in Galatians, to set before them the gospel that I proclaim among the Gentiles. This was such a radical departure from their thinking that he needed to get it approved by the leaders of the church. And when they finally understood it, it represented for them a Copernican revolution in their thinking. They used to think that all of God's blessings centered around them as the chosen people of God now once they've had this revolution they understand that all of god's blessings center around his messiah jesus and they emanate from him to all the nations of the earth and i wonder if any of us need a similar copernican revelation today here in ephesians paul the apostle to the gentiles prays that beautiful prayer in chapter one of all the blessings that god has lavished on us We've been elected. We've been redeemed by his blood. His riches of his grace have been showered upon us. We have the forgiveness of sins, the core essence of our faith. And who is he writing this book to? Paul is writing it to Gentiles primarily in the city of Ephesus. And he says now about these Gentiles something very different than we had seen earlier. Now they have been brought near by the blood of Christ Now the Gentiles have access in one spirit. Now they are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now they are fellow heirs, they are members of the same body, and they are partakers of the promise. This is the revelation of the mystery of the scope of salvation. And that's why Paul says in Romans 3, Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also since indeed God will also justify the circumcised by faith, the Jews, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through faith, is one God. And that's why John, in his first epistle, chapter 2, verse 2, says that Jesus Christ, our intercessor, is the propitiation for our sins, a verse we love, and it's so true. But then he goes on to say, not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So that's it. The mystery finally revealed that God's love for his creation has broken out through Jesus and is now available to every single man, woman, and child from every race all around the world. And that's wonderful. And we get it and we rejoice and we delight in his blessings and we say, great, done and done. Thank you, God. And yet, it's not done because there's one piece left of the puzzle, one thing remaining. I've used this illustration before, but it's so helpful for me. Did you know that thousands, four thousands of years, children around the world have suffered from polio? It's an infectious disease that causes muscle weakness and eventual crippling. Then in 1955, Jonas Salk discovered a vaccine that prevented polio. And it began to make an immediate difference here in the United States. In 1955, there were 28,000 new cases of polio. Two years later, there were 5,000. And four years later, there were only 161. Within six years, polio had been eradicated in the United States, essentially. But here's the fascinating and the terrible truth. That for the next 30 years, the incidence of polio around the world did not go down. Millions of children continued to contract polio and have their lives ruined. Now think with me for a moment, why was that? Was there a problem with the vaccine? No, it worked. It had been proven in the United States. What was the problem? The problem was the rest of the world didn't know about it. And so for them, it was as if the vaccine had never been developed at all. And they continued to live their lives with children crushed by this debilitating disease. And that brings us to our third and final point of our text today. That this mystery that was hidden for ages past has now been revealed in Christ must be proclaimed. Verse 8, To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. The mystery has been revealed, my friends, 2,000 years ago, but note this, A mystery revealed must be a mystery proclaimed or a mystery it remains. Do you follow that? A mystery revealed must be a mystery proclaimed or a mystery it remains. How far, how widely has that mystery been revealed in our world today? Well, there is tremendous good news. And I've got lots of graphs. I'm just going to show you one. Of the progress of Christianity in AD 100 there were 360 unbelievers for every believer now in our age there are about seven unbelievers for every believer isn't that amazing progress of the gospel people have done this they have been proclaiming the gospel of Christ for 2,000 years and that's why you know it today that's why I know it there's somebody who heard it from Jesus, who heard it from the apostles, who passed it on to the next one, passed it down and down and down, and eventually that link came to you. You heard about the vaccine, you heard about the salvation in Christ, and you believed and received it. But it remains a mystery today for 40% of the world's population. As we heard last week, and as we saw on a map... 3.2 billion people today have no access to this mystery of the gospel. It remains a mystery for them. Why? Because they've simply never heard about Jesus. It is for them as if Christ had never died because they don't know about him. Now, where do those people live? Well, we saw this map last week. They live in the red parts of the world And that's why, as a church, our focus is on these parts of the world. Not that they're more valuable than anybody else, but these are the places where they've not yet heard that there is a vaccine for the disease of sin. And this map shows you even a little bit more clearly. Each dot represents 50,000 people. So this is not just a large area of the world. This is where the bulk of the world's population lives. For these people, it is as if Christ has not yet died because they have not yet heard about him. And so they labor on in their false religions, in their satanic deceptions, in their fearful superstitions, not because they want to, but because they don't know any better, because nobody's gone and told them. And how can they believe unless they hear? Well, Paul, in our passage, goes on to explain this proclamation, and we're just going to quickly look how he describes the process of this proclamation. First, the means of it. Verse 7, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. This proclamation happens through people surrendered to God and empowered by his spirit. You think you're not good enough, not smart enough to do this work Paul says I'm the least of everybody but God's power in me as I became his servant and a servant does what when the master says something they say yes sir yes man that's how the proclamation happens the goal verse 9 and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God the The goal is that everyone, and now that is about 8 billion people in the world today. That's the goal that we have as the church. What is the plan, verses 10 and 11? So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord. God is working out an amazing plan to display his wisdom to the nations. And that plan happened today, just a few hours ago, in the country of Lebanon. We had a a vision team of about eight people left yesterday to visit Hartford Lebanon in Beirut and northern and southern Lebanon. And today, already now, they have had two worship services, one in the Bekaa Valley, one in the south, with hundreds of Muslim background believers Now listen to this. They have come from Shia, from Sunni backgrounds. There are Kurds, there are Syrians, there are Lebanese, and guess what they're doing? They are together in one building when normally and previously they were blowing each other up. They are worshiping one Lord Jesus Christ together. Amen. Praise God. And what is happening? As they hear this message and as they see the love of Christ through aid delivered to them, their lives are changed. They don't live in their tribal groups anymore. They come together by the Holy Spirit and they worship Jesus together. My friends, that is something that no other religion, it is something that no political system can accomplish. It is only what God can accomplish through the proclamation of this mystery by His Holy Spirit. And this declares to Satan and all of his minions... That Jesus is the only ruler of the universe because he's bringing together a church for his glory and his name from all around the world. What is the cost? Well, my friends, this didn't come easy for Paul. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus. Paul was in chains as he wrote this book. But he says in verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Paul had suffered to get the message to the Ephesians. But he says, don't worry about that. Your glory is now in your salvation and in your Savior. What I've given up for you is as nothing compared with that. My friends, there is a cost, but the reward is great. And finally, the accounting, verse 2. Assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:2: we are servants of Christ, and stewards of the mysteries of God. See, once you know the mystery, and now you know it, you are responsible to make it known to the ends of the earth. And one day God will ask you, hey, how'd that go? What what do you have to show me? Not for your salvation, I've given that to you in Christ. But what have you done with the years, with the energy, with the talents, with the children, with the money that I have given you? Have you used it to reveal the mystery to the billions who have yet to hear for the first time that salvation belongs to Jesus? So what do we do now? The thing about a mystery is that once it's solved, it seems so obvious, doesn't it? It's like, yeah, everybody should understand what was going on in that story. Now, sometimes it takes my wife explaining it to me a couple more times and I finally figure it out. But that's true with the gospel, isn't it? For those of us that have grown up in Christian homes and in the church, this is so old for us that it just kind of becomes a little bit stale. But my friends, for those who have never heard it, this is amazing news. In fact, our friends in India tell us that when they proclaim the gospel, people have told them this, this is too good news. This, like, can't possibly be true. How could we have these riches given to us for free? And the wonderful news is that the task God has given us is a completable task. If you haven't yet seen the Wall of the Unreached, it's, it's on the ramp now. You need to take a few minutes and look at that. On both sides of the ramp are names of 7,000 people groups that have yet to hear for the first time the name of Jesus Christ. The 3.2 billion people that live in the red parts of the world are in those 7,000 people groups. But guess what? It's only 7,000 people groups. And do you know how many churches we have in the world? Now, in AD 100, there was one church for every 12 unreached people groups. Now, in our day and age, there are 1,000 churches for every unreached people group in the world. My friends, we can do this job. If we'll just take a piece of it and let God use us to proclaim the mystery of Christ to that people. A number of years ago, we were focusing on the people in the Caspian area, and we talked about it from the stage. And a few weeks later, a family from the church came and talked to me, and they said, Nate, they had a wonderful house in Carmel, good job at RCA, four children. They said, We want to sell our house, I want to quit my job, and I want to move to the Caspian region. Because I have one goal in mind. I want to cross off the Azerbaijani people from the list of the unreached peoples. And that family moved to Azerbaijan. And God has continued that movement through other people from College Park Church. Now, the number of believers in that country, as you heard this morning, is beginning to grow. You see, this is a completable task, my friends. But it's going to take all of us to get involved in it. Can we do more than we are doing? I'm convinced that we can if we will put our shoulder to the plow. Now why are we so slow to engage? In spite of the good news, the bad news is very profound and disturbing. 2,000 years in, with all of the resources that God has given us, not just the American church but the church around the world, we could ask legitimately this question, why are there still 3 billion people that have yet to hear for the very first time the name of Jesus? Well, I think maybe we're like those first century Jews. We, we, we know in our hearts that the revelation has been revealed, that the mystery has been made known, but our lives don't show it. In reality, we're exactly like those first century Jews. We are so provincial, which means not knowing or caring about the needs of other people. We're saved, we're in, we feel good about that, but as far as the rest of the nations go, We wouldn't say this with our lips, but we often say it with the use of our time and our money. This is what we say. The rest of the world can just go to hell. My friends, that's what we're saying if we don't get involved, if we don't do something to take the message to them. We're just not taking it seriously. You remember polio? In 1988, 30 years after the development of the the vaccine 1,000 babies around the world still got polio every single day. Unbelievable. Then in 1988, the World Health Organization said, we're getting serious about this problem. They began what they called the Global Polio Eradication Initiative. And it took 12 years, but they reduced worldwide the incidence of polio by 99.99%. They virtually eradicated polio from our entire globe. And what did it take? 200 countries, 20 million volunteers, $18 billion committed to one task, and they got it done. Now, my friends, polio is an awful disease. It made life agonizing for millions. But there is a worse disease than polio. And it is making not only life, but it is making eternity agonizing for billions of people, And that is the disease called sin. And Jesus gave us the vaccine, the cure for that disease, when he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And so I would propose a global spiritual poverty eradication initiative. And I would encourage us to respond to David Platt's challenge last Sunday when he said, God, I will do whatever you call me to do, no matter what it costs to get the gospel to people who have never Heard it. Now, I tried not to peek last Sunday. I was really tempted to because I'm the missions pastor here. I, I know a lot of people stood, and I want to help you in just a minute. But for those of you who didn't stand last week, you, you couldn't come to that place where you said, Lord, I will do whatever you call me to do. Let me just encourage you with this. We're not telling you to be a missionary. We're saying, do whatever God calls you to do. And no matter how limited or challenged you might be physically, emotionally, relationally, whatever's going on, you can do something to advance the cause of Christ in the red parts of the world. So give God your yes today, even if it's a small step. Some of you are already on it. You have the pedal to the metal. And I'm not just talking about our missionaries, although I am talking about them, but a number of you are doing everything you can from where you live here To take the gospel to someone else, you're encouraging others who are doing that that very work, that proclamation. So keep it up. Don't grow weary in well-doing. But I think there's a big group in the middle, perhaps. And you love Jesus. You're really trying to follow him. But you've been caught up in suburban life, even in church life. You say you're too busy to add anything to your schedule. You can't come to prayer times. You you can't meet with a missionary. You can't write an email because you're just too busy. Well, let me ask you, what exactly are you too busy with? You know, if you took all that you're doing right now, and, and I don't know your individual lives, but if you took all that you're doing and you lit a match to it, how much of it would just burn up? You're just caught in the rat race of making money and being involved in sports and playing games. One thing and another, and the end result after a year is you've done nothing to impact the red areas of the world. My friends, that ought not to be. We need you engaged in this global spiritual poverty eradication initiative. The smallest act is better than the best intention. So don't leave today with just an intention. Leave with a decision that I am going to do something different. And if you're already giving to College Park Church, let me encourage you that you already are doing something because a portion of all the money that you give goes into our global outreach and the support that we give to our missionaries and our partners. I just did a study this week because somebody asked the question. 75% of that support goes to ministry in the red parts of the world. So you're doing something. Thank you for that. But can you do more? And let me just suggest in closing four steps that you might take. Pick one of these four or do all four if you like. One is you can support one of our missionaries individually. Even if it's only $10 or $20 a month. Grab the prayer guide, contact their agency, begin to send money in and now your life in Carmel or Indianapolis is going to have an impact in Japan or Peru or Spain or wherever you decide to invest that money. That's not hard to do. Secondly, you can give 45 minutes of your time every month. We have the absolute easiest way possible for you to engage and make a difference in the red parts of the world. And that is to sign up and join a Barnabas team. This is a group of people that meet together every week to pray for either a missionary or one of our partnerships. But you're gonna have to make room for that in your schedule. Something's gonna have to go off the table so you can put this on the table. But my friends, it needs to get done because people are dying every day without hearing the gospel. Third, you might learn. We're offering a course this spring called Perspectives, and you'll see a, a flyer like this on your way out. It's a 16 week, one night a week course. And you'll learn the history of missions, the biblical basis, you'll get stirred up. And this is not just for missionaries. This is for anybody who's a disciple of Jesus Christ to learn more about the missionary task and how you can be involved. And then finally, I would encourage you to consider next year going on a vision trip. Now this is something that probably not everybody can do, but many of you can. And you're just afraid because you're, not, you're the very least of all the Christians. But you don't understand that God's power can come in and enable you, yes, to get on an airplane. And to go eat curry for a week. And to trust God to take care of you. He's done it in the past. He can do it for you. And we'll be unfolding in the next few months. The vision trips for next year. And we'd encourage you to think about that. The mystery that has been revealed. Has brought the gospel to us. The Gentiles. By his grace. But that mystery revealed. Must be the mystery proclaimed. How are you going to go about doing that with what God has given you?